0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 168 of Greater Than Code. I'm one of your panelists, Jamie Hampton, and I'm here with my friend, Jacob Stobel.
1: Hello, and I'm here with Shante Thurmond.
0: Hello, everyone, and I have the great pleasure
2: of introducing Dr. Courtney Ziegler, who is an award-winning filmmaker, entrepreneur, social engineer, inventor, Northwestern PhD graduate. Compton-born, lives out in Oakland now, educator, and most recently, the founder and creator of the Appolition app. So that's what we're going to get into today. Welcome, Courtney.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you all today.
2: It's our pleasure. So should we get into the first question we ask everyone? Let's do it. Courtney, what's your superpower and how did you acquire it?
3: That's a great question. (laughs) I think my superpower actually... And honestly, is not to be kind of facetious or kind of saying much about myself, but I think I'm a visionary. I have a really great skill in seeing things that aren't necessarily there or being able to see things that could possibly exist when I put all the pieces together. So I'm really from that skill because it's helped me um, not only professionally, but personally in my life. So that's my superpower.
2: That's a great superpower to have. And it sounds like I mean I could kind of get that from just reading your bio because if you have done, you know, filmmaking and you won won awards and you're writing and things of that nature and now created the abolition app. I read a little bit of the backstory, but I would love to learn more about that. You know, how that all came to be, if you wouldn't mind.
3: Yeah, for sure. What is it, twenty twenty? Wow, it's actually twenty twenty, y'all. Like that's crazy.
2: <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> we made it. Yeah. I know. Yes, I did. Uh, we made it,
3: made it to the other <laughs> side. New decade, super excited. So in late 2017, actually, I was inspired by the work of grassroots activists who were part of a number of different organizations focused on bail and conversations about bail reform and the predatory bail system, and. A group of folks called National Bailout were doing crowdfunding to bail out Black mothers from jail, for Mother's Day. Um, They did it earlier in that year, and I learned about it in November that year. I was really impressed and inspired by the work that they were doing, not only because they were bringing, like, kind of larger attention to the, the issue of bail and how it disproportionately affects Black Americans, but also they were leveraging kind of like traditional crowdfunding by using kind of you can sign up on a website and give some money or they were also doing like grassroots door-to-door knocking on people's doors and letting them know and they raised about a million dollars i think and i was like blown away mainly because again i'm inspired by the work that i think social activists do i'm a black american and i think that most of us are intimately affected by mass incarceration so we either know someone who's in jail or prison or who's been in jail or prison or ourselves have been to jail and or prison. And so my mother's actually incarcerated. So that was really what tied me to that. I was like, wow, they're belling out black bombs. How cool. And working in the technology field at the time, I was working with my co-founder and we were building a number of things that we kind of want to test out in terms of socially driven tools. And so being in that space, I was like, how can I support the work that National Bailout is doing, leveraging technology? So I tweet a lot, and I sent out a tweet that was like, what if there was an app that existed that kind of leveraged the spare change roundup model, but then it was used to bail people out of jail. A lot of people were like, hell yeah, I'd you know, sign up for that. And then four months after that, in November 2017, launched an MVP of abolition, and it was super successful. I was hoping to have about 200 users by that December of that year. And we had about 2,000 and about 8,000 people who wanted to sign up <laughs> to be on the app. And we didn't have that capacity because <laughs> um, wow. we just built out something to test it. And so that was the story of Appalachian, how it came to be. And it's about a little over two years now. And still a platform that runs, still a platform that um, reaches thousands of people and collects thousands of dollars that we send to a number of bail funds now. And they continue to do the awesome work of getting people out of jail and just manage the technology on my side. So that was the story.
2: Damn, that's amazing. Uh, I, I love it. I love to hear when people, like, you know, there's a real connection to something and that you can take an action. I mean, I also have people in my family who are incarcerated or who have been formally incarcerated. And it is like just to get the legal fees and to fight some of these battles that people are facing that have they've been many times, I wouldn't say they're innocent, but many times like they didn't have to go to prison for as long as they did. And I I, I just think it's really great to see a person of color to do this. So thank you. I want to say thank you because- I think this is an awesome idea, and I think that's probably why I even connected with you on LinkedIn after I read I read something about the abolition app. So I was like, yeah, get to meet Dr. Courtney and give a shout out. So
3: <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you're welcome. It's been very interesting. I, I've learned a lot in the space. Again, just coming from someone who identifies as a technologist and not necessarily like a, a bail reform activist or anything, but being able to support the work that others are doing and just being able to, through abolition, create a larger conversation in tech about what bail is and like educated a lot of folks and like being behind that has been such a privilege to see it kind of flourish in the ways that it has. So I'm really grateful <laughs> that like people. Because at its core, Appolition is a crowdfunding platform. It's financial technology, right? And so the people had to trust me uh, and the mission to even be like, you know, I'm going to sign up and, and link my bank account to this. I don't know anything about anything, but, you know, I trust this guy. And so that was really an important part of the success of Appolition, too. And so I'm really grateful that people actually believed in me and trusted me to lead a project of this kind. So. So that's really It's cool. truly so an amazing well. story.
2: And that's a good point. One quick question that came to my mind is like, that signifies to me that you had the social credit within like the circles in which you were you know, influencing, how did you get to that place? It wasn't like you woke up and you're like, let me just build an app and let me just become a technologist. It seems like you took a roundabout way to get there. Not to say that those things in your former kind of like education didn't inform this work. It sounds like it did, but how do you think you built up that social credit to put you in a position to be a person of, you know, not only like a proponent of this and activist, but like also kind of um, a fiduciary, you know, stakeholder and
3: leader. Mm -hmm
2: as it comes to this?
3: Yeah, so um, I've been building things in the technology space for about seven years now. I finished my PhD in 2011 and I had a really difficult time finding substantial employment. (laughs) And I had, up until that point, had a really kind of awesome career as a filmmaker, artist, as a scholar, but I'm also, out of myself, I'm also a transgender person. And so I encountered a lot of kind of discrimination in my professional career and and so not being able to secure employment in the ways that I thought that I was like training myself to after years of school I had to go a different route and so living here in the Bay Area and be surrounded by technologists I was like well I have to kind of create my own space and so I became an entrepreneur, I've always been an entrepreneur, but I really kind of really became an entrepreneur in late 2012, early 2013. And I had a business here in Oakland and it was, I was really into fashion. so I had opened up a brick and mortar shop with an ex-partner of mine. And that was successful we had that for five years. And in, in that time uh, is when Oakland was becoming the spillover of San Francisco was starting to happen in Oakland where technology, so a lot of startups were like kind of launching companies. Um, Silicon Valley had extended to San Francisco officially. And so it was kind of a moment where a lot of startups were happening. And I was like, well, how can I be involved in this? And I attended my first ever hackathon in 2013. It was a filmmaker's hackathon, so I was a filmmaker. So I was like, this is cool, I can go do this. And from that day on, I was like, okay, I, I noticed some things in that space that I wanted to change, and so After I left that hackathon, I launched TransHack, which was the first organization in the tech space that focused on building technology for trans people, creating jobs for trans people, um, and really creating community (laughs) for trans people in tech. And so I brought my research skills with me, which was a, a really great tool that I had to find people who were at the time, talking about diversity and things like that, which are really kind of the early conversations of diversity in tech and things like that. And so I reached out to those folks and I was like, hey, you don't know me from anything. I'm not in the tech space, but I want to be and I want to launch this organization for transgender people because I attended this event and it left out such and such and such. And I got amazing support and amazing support from, from major prominent players in the tech space who sponsored my organization. And from then on, I've been able to kind of really create a name for myself um, in tech, as well as build up professional credibility as someone who's not only um, says they're going to do something, but actually does it and completes it and does it very well. And so that's kind of been my journey in the past seven years working in the tech space. And Appolition was just kind of like, at the time, I was, again, working with my partner and we co-founded a startup called Damn Labs. And we uh, raised money to build our products and it was going really well, and Appalachian was just a side project that kind of really <laughs> took on a life of its own. But I've been able to, again, build up as someone as soon as, as seen as a trustworthy figure by my portfolio and kind of history and trajectory in tech, where I kind of champion products and projects that really focus on those who are left out, those who are on the sidelines, people who, I guess, can, you know need support in ways that other people don't. And so it just made sense that people supported Appalachian. Yeah, and I would also say that just outside of technology, I've had a really kind of, I like the word successful, I'm using that a lot, I had a really kind of successful career as a scholar and as an academic and someone who is very known for being very public and critical about different discourses and and has something to say. And so I think being someone who's very vocal also helps uh, the success of abolition because I talk a lot. And I like, I'm in spaces in which I think, you know, my voice is important and where certain things that need to be said aren't being said. And so it's just a combination of of all of those things. But I'm really glad that people have supported my work and continue to support the things that I do. So.
2: Sounds like a true activist to me.
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: no, activist, I love it tendencies oh my gosh i have lots of questions I, i have lots of questions but i'm not gonna be the only one to ask so i would love jb and jacob i know i think somebody had a question earlier so we'll come back
0: to me
1: i was about to ask for our listeners you know what's the quick spiel about the app but you had already done that so just after i had asked you went into that so that was what mainly i wanted to hear about
0: I have a question about one of the things that you said about Appalachian in one of the emails that we were exchanging before the show was American justice is not just but is punitive. And I agree with that, but I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about that for like our listeners and like your perspective on it.
3: Yeah, I didn't write that just for clarity. I saw it in the email this morning as well. Oh, I'm so mistake. Sorry. I probably, no worries, no worries, no worries. But I just want to be clear just in case the, the person who wrote it is like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think I'm going to answer both because I think I still have a lot to talk about abolition in terms of how it functions and why it does the things that it does. And I think one of the most exciting things to add to the spiel for abolition is that it's provided a lot of education for a number of folks. Primarily, I mean, for myself, but also, like, I was really ignorant, though I'm aware of bail and what it is. I was very ignorant that it functions differently across jurisdictions and different states and who can bail out who and how much it costs and who is granted what and, you know, different situations. And I think a lot of people, not only our users, but a lot of people in this country have no idea uh, what bail is because a lot of folks would be like, why would you you know, so anybody could get out of jail, you know, things like that. And it's like, well, I, I'm, I'm an abolitionist. I don't even think jail should exist in the first place. But no, everybody can't get out of jail. Like A lot of people didn't realize that a judge has to like grant someone bail, that <laughs> the situations differ and that, you know, sometimes some folks, and that the main reason why uh, an app like Appolition is great in providing this education is because we want to let people know that yeah, to educate themselves about the kind of the judicial system that we live in, and that bail is extremely very predatory and very unfair in the ways that like it's leveraged and waged against people who, you know, <laughs> don't have the means and resources to actualize their right as being seen as innocent, right, until proven guilty. Um, and so. There's just so many conversations that I think Appalachian has been contributing to in terms of educating folks that we are really grateful for beyond and just because, again, it's just a, a platform that collects spare change that already exists. Spare change <laughs> platforms exist. You know, you can get on Robinhood, right, and collect or any of those other apps, collect spare change and invest or, or save your money and get, go on vacation and stuff. But um to use it to help someone that is charged with a crime maintain their dignity and their jobs and being able to still kind of function as a citizen is super important. And I'm really grateful that something like a simple platform like abolition can help contribute to, again, that kind of larger education for our citizens. (laughs) It's like super important. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. It would be, if you don't mind, Courtney, I would love to learn more like specifics on, first of all, how can we download it and Tell us more specifically, like how you went into like creating this platform. Did you learn yourself to code? Did you source this out or outsource this to somebody? Um, I would love to just sort of learn that, if you don't mind.
3: So my partner and I, we have an actual startup. <laughs> so Zan Labs, we build software, and we've been building software for the past seven years since I launched Transact. We build Appellation in-house. I do not code it at all because I'm, you know, in charge of a lot of other things. And so we have a lead engineer, Ahmed, who's really, really awesome and has been with us for the past two years since we've been in operations. Our first version of the app, however, because we kind of just wanted to test out the idea, we did partner with an outside team who actually already had a spare change platform white label solution. So we were able to kind of just test it out there and see if it was something that we would continue to develop in-house. Once we had, again, we could only, on their platform, we were only able to have about 2,000 users. And so we had a wait list of 8,000. And so once we hit that threshold, we were like, okay, this is something that we do have to now kind of bring in-house and dedicate actual resources and money to. (laughs) And so we went to back, back to the drawing board after we hit that kind of 2,000 limit and redesigned the app in-house, made it so that we could have um, as many users as we wanted to, um, made it so that we can work with multiple bail funds, um, made it so that users can, when they sign up, their change can go to multiple organizations. So you can feel that as if like, wow, even though I may have only given 50 cents today, that 50 cents you know, gets split up to multiple organizations who would not have had that money in the first place because they're organizations that actually are underfunded. They're 501c3s that we work with, so they're underfunded in so many ways. So, yeah, I did not have to learn to code to do it. I do know how to code, but it's I don't code now because it's not something that excites me. Um, I'm more of kind of like being in charge of kind of product development and guiding the direction of that kind of creative development at this point. But, yeah, we continue to actually build it in-house and... At this point, we sought out kind of additional support to keep it going. You all work in software It's expensive to maintain. Even though we really love managing Appolition, it is something that is it is its own product that requires like resources and time. It was also important for us to create a it's a web app, so no one has to download anything. It was really important for us to design it that way so that we can be accessible to the majority of people, not necessarily someone who has an iPhone or someone who has an Android, but you just go to Appolition.us, completely on the web, like GoFundMe, and you set up your account that way, and everything is automated. Uh, Users log in. Once they link their account, they have a safe and secure dashboard where they see all of their transactions made with that linked account and how much spare change Appolition collects from that and how much of their spare change is going to help the organization that they select to in need. so. It's really, really accessible that way. Yeah, and we continue to bring on new users every day, which is exciting for us. But again, it's, it becomes uh, us really sitting down as a team at Zen Labs and figuring out how to continue to make it sustainable and worthwhile for everybody involved. So that's a constant <laughs> task that we kind of like focus on every day.
2: Yeah, it's it's not easy either. It probably looks all nice and easy. It's great. And looking at the site now, one of the questions I have is like, because you mentioned it helps in terms of educating people. So like, do you have to go through then yourself and like find the pieces that you'll use for education and like figure out how you're going to curate that or how you're going to connect people to those resources? How, what's that process like?
3: Uh no, I think one one of the cool things is that we just provide the technology and so our partners are the ones that are the experts. But being able to partner with folks such as like a national bailout or Brooklyn Community Bail Fund or Colorado Freedom Fund is that they're the ones who do all the work about the education. But our users kind of absorb that education because by default the of them being partners. And so there's kind of a information exchange that happens. Just by being an abolitionist, by just by following our Twitter feed or being a user who gets our in app notifications or our newsletter about the work that our awesome partners are doing, and so that's really really cool. So we don't do all of that work, we just kind of provide the financial collection, <laughs> a supplementary way for Bell funds to raise money.
2: That's oh, great work. I mean, I think I just love the fact that this is how people who who need to make change. This is how we make change. But when you use the power of technology to do it, like it can go really far. So I think this is just like one Mm -hmm. of those examples of all these sort of different ingredients that went into this kind of becoming a crisis and a passion at the same time. And like being able, I I want people to hear this and be like, if there's something that that I'm pissed off about or (laughs) want to fight against, I can do the same thing. You know what I mean? Of course, it probably Mm -hmm. sounds easy now that like we're on the other side of it but one thing I would love to maybe dig into a little bit here is like as you've been building this and going through this what's been the biggest surprise for you?
3: That's a good question maybe the biggest surprise has been how expensive it is to operate a fintech honestly <laughs> so yeah my company and I we, we build other things we build video apps and we build kind of other like SaaS apps and this is the first one where it's been our team really kind of working through what it is to work with money. And it's, it's very different. So that, I think that was like, wow, really huge aha moment for us. And like, but at the same time, it's really great because I've grown as an entrepreneur and as someone who's really kind of more knowledgeable about how different um, types of software and products operate, not only in the market, but you know, behind the scenes. And so that's been really cool for me as a person that's grown and just our team in general, but that was like a r- really surprising because having an idea and then you know putting it into production and making it something that's actually working and useful for others is really really exciting. But it's also like a little bit humbling to recognize how like how much work goes into it. So that was kind of the biggest aha moment. And yeah. maybe another one would be I got very lucky with the timing of the tweet and everything, um, and the naming of the app. With the conversations about prison abolition right now and kind of naming it abolition and kind of like taking advantage of mainstream conversations. But just it was really surprising to see how it traveled in media conversations. And that was really awesome just to watch it being picked up in so many outlets and discussed where we didn't have to do a lot of work investing in resources for people to know about it because it was talked about so so much in different spaces. And that was really exciting and a huge, like, surprise moment. So expenses yeah. and, like, <laughs> notoriety were like, whoa. The name,
2: the, the name is, like, brilliant. I'm like, ooh, that's good. <laughs> and so, like, the brand, uh, the branding and all of that. And, like, you know, uh, Black Twitter is something else. But uh, this is probably – this spills over into other Twitter threads, I'm guessing. Lots of them, actually anybody who's working on social justice like people who are abolitionists, uh, prison reformists, you know, things like that. There's I mean I'm involved in those circles as well and I I just think the name was like <laughs> I was like wow, this is dope and I was shocked that nobody else had like taken that name. So I was like, wow, maybe maybe somebody yeah, did but maybe clever. maybe you got you really did get lucky and you kind of answered that question. So thank you for that.
3: Um, I think there was someone may have used it for. I did the research for some noun, and and this is my I, apologies if you're if you're wrong, if you're a person who may be listening to this. There was like some noun defunct like app development company, which made sense. But I think now it it made more sense to use it in terms of something that combines like app with abolition. So apologies if there was like <laughs> the other one. But, yeah, I think the name really was <laughs> clever in helping it really catch fire in terms of, like, talking about it online and different media outlets, for sure.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, and, again, if, if those people are listening, hey, shout out to you, but thanks.
3: <laughs> shout out to you for no longer using it.
2: That's right. Thank thanks. you for, for
0: making space and not mm-hmm. taking it. <laughs> It's interesting to me that we've been talking a lot about prison abolition and prison reform and the way that this app kind of works inside of that existing system because, like, I can see how that would have the most impact, but it's also making a statement against the whole concept of the system. And I know earlier you mentioned something about being opposed in general to, like, incarceration, and I think that... I would love to hear more about your thoughts on that and like how you think abolition kind of plays into that, even though it's like working with what we have now, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, abolition is not designed to be the end of prisons and jails, obviously. But it's definitely designed to, again, bring much more attention to discussions of how predatory bail is. As well as you know how we can leverage tech, simple technology, technology that already exists and apply them to problems that are like much bigger than we thought we could ever tackle. Especially in a space like Silicon Valley, where we have unlimited access to the most amazing tools that sometimes don't get used in the most appropriate ways to solve problems. Right, and so that's what abolition does. Um, but I, at, at my core, I you know I'm an abolitionist, and I don't think that prisons and or jails are necessary. Um, And and I'm not the most articulate person, the most knowledgeable person about the reasons why and the alternatives to those. I follow people online, like someone who has a prison culture, who has dedicated their life to uh, prison abolition and really writing and theorizing and talking about, or Angela Davis, and talking about ways that society can mitigate problems that exist um, outside of, you know, locking people up. And so I, you know, again, follow their work, which is really awesome because as now, as the creator of an app that gets tied to this large discussion about abolition, I'm consistently educating myself about alternatives and how other people are are thinking through alternatives and, and how they're kind of like developing those things. And also about how conversations about bail as a system are really pushing for legislation in different uh, states that are actually ending bail. I know New York City, uh, New York rights this uh, in cash bail, and that's through the work of activists and like people who have been doing the work for years. And abolition is just a small part of that conversation for sure.
0: And we can put some of those sources, links to some of the sources you just mentioned on the page for the podcast so that when people are listening, they can like go read more about it. Not yeah, nasty. and if you yeah, if you have any recommended you know articles where people can like maybe start to inform
2: themselves if they if they're just like brand new to this conversation, because it's very it's very layered and complicated, as we know, you know the this is one form for example of how we have to fight against racism as a as a system of oppression, and that's complicated too, so there's all these kind of like things that make the situation what we have today like bad and then there's things that also like the levers and the pulleys that impact the system to make it really shitty <laughs> um and i shouldn't laugh but i do laugh because it's like how i hide my pain but what i'm, what I'm saying is if you have any recommendations in terms of yeah it's really it makes me very angry but you know and it's overwhelming like i had to i had to inform myself when pe- people in my family were, were going to be going to prison that's how I got firsthand educated. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody listening. But now that I'm on the other side of it, I want to know more about like how I can, you know, kind of take those things and and educate people. So I'm different than the average listener, I think. And so all I'm saying is if we have anything that we can give that's not too much or overwhelming, let's start there.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, I would also suggest people who are listening, we can follow – abolition's twitter handle our social media person tweets really kind of great stuff consistently about mass incarceration (laughs) bail and things that are really digestible um and again that's another kind of avenue that we are able to kind of curate this information about abolition and prisons and jails to educate folks who really kind of were knowledgeable about it and, and things that are happening and we also have a hashtag uh Abolition book list that provides some resources as well for folks who want to kind of go a little bit more deeper um, in, in these theories and things that uh, prison abolitionists are talking about. So,
2: perfect, thank you. One of the things that we want to talk about, if we can circle back to you were mentioning when you got in, when you went to the first hackathon and then you started TransHack in 2014. Mm-hmm. I would love to learn more about that and talk to you about that.
3: Yeah, I went to, I'm not gonna say the name of the hackathon because I don't wanna, but it, it was great. It was a great experience, but I did feel it was not very inclusive in terms of, I think, just different skill sets and different identities. I went in as a filmmaker who, you know, had clout at that time. I was like award winning, I wasn't just like, I'm just a student filmmaker or anything. And like, I went in and my skills as a filmmaker weren't utilized i think in the ways that they should have especially in the hackathon setting where the idea is like everybody has the skills contribute to like the production of this product in this short amount of time and it was a space at a filmmaker hackathon that privileged engineers who weren't really open to hearing the ideas i think of the creatives and so that blew my mind and i was like hmm (laughs) like (laughs) <laughs> that's not cool because huh. it seems like there should be like a um, mutually like you need, like you can code. Like, great. That's great. But you need the ideas from the filmmakers who are, it was like using the archives and things like that. And um, right. how to leverage like documentary footage and historical footage and public domain footage. And it's like, okay. So that was super interesting to me. and it, And also I don't, you know, again, as a trans person who's out in a lot of my professional settings, it was in San Francisco, and I didn't feel like it was very clear at all. <laughs> and that troubled me. And so, again, I walked away from that hackathon. I was like, I can do something like that for people like me. But also, maybe it could be something about, like, if we can make an app in two days using archives, maybe we can make an app in two days, whatever, using data it's for trans people, make trans apps, whatever. And so I set forth and did that. <laughs> and it was extremely successful. And Tag lasted for about another like about five-year project um in space and birth a number of organizations um after it that were focused either on trans folks in tech or trans and other non-conforming people in tech or building platforms for trans people in tech and so a number of really awesome things came out of trans tech um, and trans sponsored events such as probably one of the most notable is Refuge Restroom it's an app where you can find trans friendly restrooms
2: I use and that app
3: it was built on, um, yeah awesome <laughs> <laughs> it was built on top of this other this this data there used to be an app called or a, a website called i forget some I pee. I need to pee or something. And it had all of this data that wasn't being used anymore. And so Refuge Restrooms founder took it and made Refuge Restrooms. <laughs> and then frustrating thing is, is that Yelp then took that information and put it in their platform. I don't think they did it like <laughs> by asking or anything. They kind of just usurped the data and now on Yelp, you can find trends friendly restrooms. But anyways, <laughs> the point is... Wow, that's um, so... The um, I mean... trajectory and um, Transact really launched a conversation in, in the technology industry about trans people and really, again, how we can create technology for people who use full tech for people who actually need it. And so, yeah, that's what Transact... I did want to... Continue leading the organization. I met my prior co-founder, Tiffany Michael, at a TransHack event. We had an old dev boot camp in Chicago. Tiffany was on the founding team there. And she was like, do you want to start a company together? And I was like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> and once we started working together, uh, we retired TransHack. Also because there were so much, so many other organizations that existed now that you know could carry the torch. And so... That's how trans have started. It was the first ever hackathon ever <laughs> focused on trans people, which became an organization. And yeah,
2: has is it gone now? Like, did you retire, or has the organization retired?
3: And yes, the organization is like my partner and I say sometimes on hiatus, but um, <laughs> yeah, I think we had a good run. <laughs> we, it was great, and not only did I grow from it, but like the tech space has been you know significantly impacted by the work that i've done and the work that people who were at the hackathons and events and seminars and courses and all that good stuff you know it literally changed people's lives we just we created such an amazing trans ecosystem in the space that it was fine for me to step away and for kind of like the rest of the team to step away and kind of do bigger and better things so
0: You talked a little bit about how, like, other trans-based organizations, like, popped up after this and, like, in ways that were relating to this, which is amazing. But I also kind of want to ask about your perspective. I'm also a trans person, and I didn't enter the tech industry really until, like, 2016-ish. And so you're kind of talking about – and, like, I've seen a lot of progress even from, like, then to now in – how things kind of are in general in the tech industry. And I'd be really curious on like your perspective about like, not in specific trans focused organizations, but like, what kind of change have you seen at other tech events that aren't specifically trans focused, like you talked about going to this hackathon, and feeling, you know, like you weren't utilized, and it like wasn't particularly queer, and I'm wondering if what kind of changes you've seen overall in how it's leaked out into other spaces in tech.
3: I think in my time that I've been in the space, and I'm actually, full disclosure, really walking away from working in the technology industry um, this year, saying it, (laughs) speaking it into existence, and a lot tied to the question that you're asking, I think that a lot of things conversations not only in just regard to trans but diversity and all these like things that were happening. They were great and they created a lot of events where people could meet and share stories and you know form new relationships and like, you know, people made money giving diversity and inclusion talks and I think talking about trans stuff and all that was great. I don't know. I think a lot of things didn't move beyond having nice conversations and events in terms of like real shifting in demographics. But I'm also for myself an entrepreneur. I don't work at a company. I don't work in these spaces in which like I think that people have issues where there's not enough black people. There's not enough queer people. There's not enough women or whatever. And I'm only someone who reads the data just like everybody else. So seeing a lot of kind of the conversations that evolved from twenty thirteen to twenty twenty in terms of being more inclusive and things like that, I just think that a lot of them just didn't necessarily always translate. I think it's startups, which sucks because startups you know they're they're literally starting they're starting and they you know can shift the rules all the time they can create new rules all the time they can create new realities all it's like that's the beauty of being a startup and I don't think those startups are necessarily again in terms of the data. <laughs> being as inclusive as the discourse surrounding them was encouraging people to be. That's not always a bad thing because, again, it's important that, you know, I'm a philosopher at heart, and so I believe conversations are important. I believe we have to be talking about these things. We have to be having conversations. We can't just be coding or working for companies and not really talking about social issues. Like, it's really, really important. And so in that regard, I'm really grateful to actually have been involved in those conversations and someone who I consider to be very integral to those early D&I conversations that were happening in the early 2010s in tech, which kind of really intensified around 2014, 15, and 16. So yeah, that's super important. I do also hope as someone who has spent the last five years of my life building a company and focusing on just because of who I am by default having a diversity of voices who work there and how awesome that is really wanting that to translate into other you know startups surrounding me but I also live in the bay area where it's a very different place in terms of demographics and so yeah so it's like some things are good some things are bad some things need improvement
0: that's <laughs> but, ain't, ain't that just the way <laughs>
3: Yeah, exactly. I, it's like it's like that, exactly.
0: I just wanted to say that, like, from my perspective, although I definitely see, you know, a lot of systematic things that are troubling for, like, the trans community, obviously, that over the past few years, like, working as a trans person in tech, it's felt less lonely to me. Because, like, I know so many, exactly. particularly at first, I didn't know any trans masculine people when I first started in tech. I knew some transfeminine people, and I was like, this, it feels lonely, and it feels hard. And now I, like, have a community, and I know other people, and I've even worked with other people directly, like, at my day job, you know, that come from, like, that similar background as me, and it feels better. And so I guess what I wanted to say was, like, I wanted to thank you for whatever part TransHack played in that.
3: Thank you. I appreciate that. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you emphasized the, made a very, very important point that it's like, you don't feel so alone. <laughs> like there's, yeah. there's other people, there's other people working, there's other people doing awesome things. And that's really, really cool. Yeah,
0: it's about, really gratifying. About,
3: like, I, yeah about all of these conversations that have provided for people and i think even myself who um transact was my introduction into building in the technology industry like there was you know and so it was great to insert myself in the conversations and, and meet people that way and i was like wow like you know because i felt alone and coming from an academic space and, like, I was the only one. And, like, now, you know, being able to not be be a nobody and create something where people from, you know, all kinds of trans people showed up and, like, you know we were making awesome things together. And, you know, it's like, wow, that's really cool. So thank you for saying that. And I really hope that things like that continue in this space for people to continue to have conversations and build networks and sell because there's so many freaking awesome people that are building it. In fact, that are trans. Sure. It's
0: re- it's really gratifying to see and meet like other people that are like you. But even more than that, it's like extremely gratifying to see other people who are like you, like being very successful.
3: Exactly. And a lot of my supporters, especially with abolition recently, are people who are successful in trans, <laughs> successful being trans. That too, who are <laughs> trans, successful, <laughs> uh, whatever that means. And who are just like you know have resources to support in different ways, and that creates such a different conversation. I think about what it means to be a marginalized identity, especially a trans identity, who in different spaces the way trans is talked about isn't necessarily something that's like oh well there you know there's a certain subset of folks who work in a certain space who are funding one another's projects in ways that maybe others aren't aware about and really taking advantage of the economic privilege that working in a space like tech affords, those conversations don't really get had. I, I find it super interesting. So yeah, it's like really exciting to continue to have so many out voices in technology and really bring a different kind of idea of what being trans is, is really cool.
2: Thank you both for that. I One of the things you mentioned, according to, well, two things actually, that you are gonna be leaving tech If we're okay to talk about it, I'm curious as to what your plans are next.
3: Yes. Last, I think 2019, I was like really on the fence. And I mean, it's been a great, I've created some awesome things and Appalachian will continue to operate and I'll continue to kind of have some really significant role in helping it operate. But I'm getting back to my creative side. I'm a creator at heart. I'm an artist. I'm an (laughs) artiste, And I forgot. I forgot who I was. And I feel like the, you know, like the past decade of the 2000s, I was like really focused on this professional, like becoming a PhD. And then I became a professor and then I like became like a technologist. And then it's like all these really awesome things that I didn't, I've not, and I've created things. I've been creative. Appalachians, for example, you know, (laughs) it's a very creative transact. Those are my creations. But I want to get back into filmmaking. I just went through a really intense breakup in 2019. It's like probably the most difficult breakup I've ever experienced in my entire life. And it forced me to really reconcile who I am as a person and things that I do that I don't necessarily like the things that I do about myself. And so it really forced me to focus on self-improvement and taking myself more seriously and that in, in that process it inspired me to go back into a creative space and so just there's just been this kind of like should i should i and then that happened i was like yes i should because it's what i need right now in my life and yeah i don't think the technology industry was feeding my <laughs> creative soul anymore and i want to make a movie so let me go back to that
2: Yay. I can't wait. I want to hear all about this and we can, maybe we'll have to have you back for a different episode to like talk about that once that's kind of taken off, but that sounds like a good 2020 look ahead. (laughs) Self-improvement, creativity, back to filmmaking, getting back to your roots. And I'm guessing, you know, it's it's kind of a spiral or a circular thing because we kind of have to go through these phases. And I know for me as an entrepreneur, like I get bored with things and I'm like, all right, I got to go back to the basics Uh, recharge my batteries, you know, get some more creativity or some more creative energy and authority in my life and then go back to the drawing board. So that sounds good. (laughs) And you mentioned um, the other thing that I want to kind of bring some highlight to is you were talking about the tech ecosystem in a way like where you you were there kind of helping to initiate some of these conversations. But one of the things that came to my mind is when you were like, "Okay, I'm kind of a little bit done with this because like it's not moving in a way that like maybe as fast as it should is a sense of fatigue. Because not only like for me, I'm half black, I'm half Mexican. I don't work. I'm not a technologist, but I'm in the tech space in the ecosystem. But like I'm tired as hell. (laughs) I'm like... Yo, like I need a break I'm about to I'm about to call us up Because I'm just like so tired From like having to Constantly explain Not only myself But like people that I'm showing up for As an ally And like Yeah I will go just as hard for them too And I'm like look I'm like So every day it's like a fight Every day you know, especially where I'm showing up to places where people are like a little bit hesitant or reluctant to take what I'm saying um, at face value, they want me to like prove myself and validate all the reasons why we should be having conversations around inclusion and why people should be talking about their sexuality at work. I'm like, what are you talking about? How do we, we talk about sexuality all day long? Everything is coded to be sexual. It's That's really cool. important, you know? And so having these conversations is like super draining, but I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, I need a B team. I need a C team <laughs> to call in <laughs> as backup help, you know? So I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts, like it, you might be leaving the, the, tech space, but would you be a sub for me if I need, <laughs> if I need you? <laughs>
3: Of course, because I understand all of that fatigue that you are talking about very well. And um, yeah, that's a great point that you bring up. I think personally, yeah, um, that's something I don't talk about. I'm tired. I I grew very exhausted working in this space. I think more than any other space I've worked in professionally, there's a lot of showing up that you have to do, not only in terms of like, if you are building something that is, uh, you know, about, you know, (laughs) humanities based not necessarily very you know about coding and formulas this is about like theories and stuff and about identity and like things like that and p there's pushback for that for sure because people are like this is not what i signed up for like <laughs> this is not you know we're a company we're about the bottom line this is not school you know, <laughs> Yeah, like i know so there's uh. that pushback all the time so that's exhausting but then just like the labor i think for me of uh, being a founder and like having to go out there and then fight against all those kind of assumptions and biases because people don't have that knowledge that you want to talk about. With them. So it's like they want to fight against it, but then yeah. you're like, having to negotiate with people who are very ignorant, just in a lot of ways and like just unaware of realities and how different people have to navigate spaces in different ways that may, you know, be to their detriment and their mental health (laughs) and, like, all those things and stuff. I learned that, like, so much working in in tech, like, because, yeah, it's one of the most non-inclusive spaces I've ever had to operate in, no matter how much, how inclusive it wants to be. I think there are certain subsectors that don't get as much recognition as they should, that are not, I think when people think of tech, they think of, like, you're a software engineer primarily, (laughs) or you're like, you know, and if you're not a software engineer, you're a founder of a startup, you got millions and millions of dollars leading software engineers, and that's what you do. Um, And so (laughs) there's like, you know, there are other spaces, there's other, tons of others, it's an industry, there's tons of other spaces that I think are less draining to work in in the tech space. I haven't necessarily discovered all of them, but, it has definitely worn me out. And I think I need a break from all of it personally, in my opinion, uh, my personal opinion of my life. But yeah, I think you touched on a very important point of like just exhaustion, like along with operating again as someone who is uh, what the diversity and inclusive conversations want to be about. Right.
2: Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. I mean, it's something that I am struggling with myself. I'm like, I don't know. Um you know, sometimes you want to call it quits, but you're like, well, I've come really far <laughs> and I'm pushing something that's much bigger than myself. And I can't, you can't really like take a break. But I do think, it makes me think, like I say it jokingly, like, can I call a sub? But I'm like, maybe I should, maybe I should put together a list of like substitutes. It's like, look, I'm like, I need an emotional day to myself. Who can go take this gig for me? But you know what I mean? Like you still have to somewhat stay in it and It's just an interesting thing. I'm going to be curious to know what it looks like on the other side for you and like what you're going to be doing with your time. And, you know, if you find other spaces that that are not as abrasive, but more inclusive, uh, that allows you to have that creativity and allows you to maybe bring some tech enabled services or what have you. So keep me posted and and informed on that because I'm very curious.
3: Yeah, definitely. And I'm excited to explore those things. And I think that um, the direction in which I want to go to is really definitely film, heavily visually influenced, content creation, back to storytelling. Yeah, kind of really getting back to the creative soul of myself, but also really taking all the skills and business things that I've learned by being a founder in the tech space along with me. So It'll always be something that I bring to my projects, and now that I know how to leverage it in so many ways for sure, and I'll definitely definitely keep you updated about that.
2: Is there any like in terms of filmmaking and storytelling, for example, are there any particular types of stories like that you're trying to tell? Should we be raising some awareness here so we can help get you a project
3: started? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the, the, I really, I've never written a screenplay, and I think that, I again, the recent breakup that I went through, I felt it so much, <laughs> it's so traumatic, that I feel like I can, you know, be inspired by that and tell a story of that. I think I really want to, because from that experience, like I said, I started to really kind of focus on self-improvement and in ways that I've never have in my life and never thought that I needed to, and really address issues of my role in, you know, creating toxic situations and, like, not wanting to repeat Mm -hmm. that in my life and, like, really having to take the steps to heal things that I didn't even know that I needed healing from. And so I really want to tell that story because it's, like, something that has really changed my life. And like I said, I've never written a screenplay, but I think now I just really want to kind of focus on that and really take advantage of my own personal experiences and things that are happening right now. To draw really intense creative inspiration from um, my my own muse right now, which is really really good and really rare, and <laughs> I want to like take advantage.
2: Yeah, um, that's pretty that's pretty cool. And I feel like for me, what I've been seeing, that there's been more awareness, and it looks like more rallying, and perhaps money available for folks, especially Black and Brown filmmakers, folks who are more marginalized. If you're trans or have some other type of uh, you know, like marginalized identity. There seems like there's more money available right now and it would be a good time to get back yeah. into that. So I wish you all the best of luck there.
3: Thank you so much. Really excited. Yeah, of course. I'm really grateful that you guys gave me the platform today to talk about abolition and my work and my thoughts and about what I want to do in the future. So
2: I was going to just say real quick, if you wouldn't mind, you want people to go to the website. They go to the website, they can sign up there, create an account, right? You mentioned that you might be like kind of doing some stepping away. Who will be running Appolition when you're not there full time?
3: Uh, no, I'll continue to be leading Appolition. That's gonna okay. change. Um but we have okay. like a full time team who operates that it's not just me. We have an engineer, we have a social media person, we have a marketing person. Um we have a whole team. But you know, Appolition will still, as long as it operates, I'll definitely be there. But I think primarily my full-time dedication will now be more of a creative in the creative field. But yeah, I hope people go to us and sign up. Yeah, we have people who are donating their spare change every day. And right now we are sending all of that money to Colorado Freedom Fund, which is an organization that operates obviously in Colorado, and they pay bail for people starting at $500. We're trying to get at least $10,000 to them by next month. So sign up. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Take your spare change. And yeah.
0: Will do. Thank you for that. So this is about the time at the end of our show where we kind of move into doing reflections, where we talk about something that struck us or made us think about something in a different way, or maybe a call to action, um, or something that we think we're gonna like keep thinking about after listening and being part of this show. And I, there was something that struck me kind of closer to the beginning which was when Courtney was talking about how abolition is a web app because it needs to be accessible for people who like don't have smartphones and I thought that that was really cool and thoughtful but it got me kind of thinking about this idea of that I've thought about before of like having people in the room when you're making decisions about technology that like who think about some of these things that might not get brought up otherwise if like everyone in the project has a lot of privilege. And I think that it's a really good example of that because it's hugely important and I could just see that not being thought of um, in other contexts. Like one that I use as an example a lot when I think about this is I read an article about automatic hand dryers that, like, didn't work for people who have black skin because it, like, didn't detect their hands correctly. And the conversation around that was so interesting because people were like, well, you know, they didn't, like, it was an accident. Like, this wasn't done on purpose. So, like, maybe it's, like, not racist or whatever. But, like, if they had had even one black person involved in, like, that planning, they would have known that this was happening and been able to fix it rather than, like, bringing it to market broken in this way. And so I think about that a lot. And I think that it just got me thinking about that when we were talking about the web app. And in tech, where a lot of people have economic privilege, I think that not considering those kind of accessibility issues is common. And so I thought it was great that you addressed that. And I think the call to action is to A, try to think about things like that for all of us who you know, work at tech companies. But probably even more importantly, be like to bring people into your projects with different perspectives so that those kind of um, matters will like get thought about and get covered.
1: I can go next. Both Courtney and Shante were, I guess, touching on the concept of, of burnout. Something I've been thinking a lot about recently is, you know, I'm white and I'm also cis. And something I've been thinking about more is, what are conversations that I can have that I have special access to in 100% white spaces and 100% cis spaces. And what are conversations that I can be having about diversity and inclusion that don't in that moment involve people of color and cis and trans people. Something's telling me that like, there's probably like, Shante mentioned like a lot of barriers and something's telling me that like, there's probably a lot of um, prerequisite work that needs to be happening to sort of prepare Shande to come and do be able to do her job. And something's telling me that there's probably more that needs to happen. There's probably more that I need, that I need to do to talk to my fellow white people to sort of get them thinking about uh, some of these topics so that they can be more receptive to them when an expert wants to come and talk to them about it. Hopefully that wasn't too rambling.
2: No, that is great. I think that that is like, Honestly, that, that's beautiful because that's exactly what I want to happen is like sometimes I think it's it's relevant for people of color, marginalized, who have, like whatever marginalization or marginalized identity you have. It's, it's really great to have allies and accomplices who can carry the weight and be like, look, I got the rest of this because this is some bullshit and you need to take a breather. And in order for you to like, you know, have that psychological and emotional safety in the job that you do let me take this one for the team. I think that's exactly what we need more of. Um, and to build like these coalitions around us of people, like I was thinking the other day, how, how do I come up with a list of like 20 people in my little cohort that I create um, that I can count on if I need them in, in a certain situation. I was like, wow, wouldn't that be good if everyone could kind of build their own like blockchain of people that they trust to help pick up the load, whatever it is in their life. So, I mean, I'm glad that you talked about that. Fatigue is definitely on my mind. And, you know, I think one of the things that Courtney said that was really great was that Courtney lost himself, but is willing to go back into that self-improvement and self-reflection kind of space which is okay. It doesn't mean that you're going to leave forever. It might just mean that you're going to take a pivot. So that's something that I'm tucking into the back of my mind. That's my reflection for the day.
3: I was really moved by the idea of finding community in tech that we touched on. That was really good because I think I've forgotten to do that. I think being a founder sometimes you can get caught up in like how to figure out what to do so you can keep the lights on (laughs) and you're not necessarily that concerned about like creating community in the ways that i think that perhaps you were able to or have privilege to in other ways or or needed to and so that was really grounding for me um and inspiring and motivating for me so thanks for that
0: thank you all this has been a great conversation yeah, I think this was a really yeah, great show. Thank great. you so much for coming on and talking to us. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah,
3: thanks so much for having me.